straight from the WCHL studios in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, 97.9 The Hill presents the Sibling Rivalry Sports Show with your hosts, Chris and C.L. Brown. And now, your ticket to the Backyard Brawl, the Sibling Rivalry Sports Show. On this Football Sunday, it all comes down to the core of the rivalry. Defending the South end zone, the illustrious senior writer from the athletic.com CBB, transliterated college basketball in the hometown black and gold jerseys, C.L. Brown, defending the North end zone. The host and co-author of Thunder Sports Network that you may have seen broadcasting from the sideline of a Super Bowl, Christopher Brown. Pick your side. This is Rivalry Week on the Sibling Rivalry Sports Show. CL, say what's up to Howard. How are we going to do a uh, show when we don't speak this week? I'm not talking to you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I got it. Yeah, we're going to do a silent show, folks. You know, we're going to do like two one one uh, angled perspectives for the show. All right, we could do that. Go ahead. You you record your side, and I'll record my side. Let's just do it. Let the fans sort it out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we got a lot of fun stuff. And this is Rivalry Week, folks. In case you didn't know, we're coming to you at a special time on Sunday, um, but right before NFL football. But tonight, on Sunday Night Football, the rivalry that partly defines what we're doing here, and that is... Baltimore goes to Pittsburgh to play that heated rivalry that that usually year in year out gives us some great games. So we've got a lot to do with that and a lot to talk about with that. But first things first, let's go to the big playback. Crack, that's whack. This is the big payback. Yes, yes, the big playback. Now, yes, we know that EPMD and they're looping James Brown saying the big payback, but this is the big playback. We just need you to insert the consonant in there. And this uh, this week, what we're talking about is something that happened very recently that's very, very interesting, and that is that Eric Reed, safety Eric Reed, was signed by the Panthers. Not only that, though, but we have a tweet that was released by your, your own C.L. Brown. Do you want to tell them what you said in your tweet? Now I forgot exactly how I phrased it, but basically that that if there if you needed any signal that a new sheriff was in town, David Tepper, the new owner of the Carolina Panthers, that signing Eric Reed was it because that never would have happened under Jerry Richardson, the uh, the uh, founder of the Carolina Panthers and and the only owner the team has ever known until now. So, yeah, the part that caught my eye was this would never happen to Jerry Richardson. I'm like picking up my phone. Oh, my gosh. Let me call him. Does he know that Does he know that he actually said that? He actually put that out there. Do you know that it never would have happened under Jerry? I don't, I don't even. That's not even a stretch. That's not even controversial to me. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm not even understanding why that was a blip on your radar. CL, I throw a flag. I wish we had referee Rich here. That's a segment coming up next week. You guys got to tune in for that. That's going to be a lot of fun. But I throw a flag on and you. I picked that. 
that flag up. <laughs> and throw it back. <laughs> like Belichick, who was it that did that? Um, uh, uh, for violation of your hashtag facts over feelings, because projecting an alternate timeline where he is, you know, still owning and they don't make the, that's not fact. No, it's not. It's not fact. And there, there is you. You can sometimes make uh, educated guess on what would and wouldn't happen based on somebody's track record. And Jerry Richardson's track record. I mean, this man. Come on, man. This man wouldn't even let them put the Carolina Panthers logo at midfield. He was he he was stuck in his ways. Whatever, however you wanted to find what his ways were, he's he was stuck in his ways. And so, for somebody who's a company man, an NFL company man like Jerry Richardson was, signing Eric Reed or Colin Kaepernick for that matter would would be way out of bounds because Eric Reed was the first player to join Colin Kaepernick when both were at the with were with the 49ers in kneeling uh, in silent protest of police brutality while the national anthem was played so i i, I mean that's not it's 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 clear cut to me that this wouldn't have happened under Jay Richardson okay let me just first say that i cannot defend a lot of things, a lot of things swirling about, you know, and a lot of the accusations about, about Jerry Richardson. Uh, I, I can't defend a lot of that. Um, but but I, I would say this, though. I would say this. I would say that going as far as to say that it would never happen, I just that that caused a question because I seen him relate in those years that he was the owner with some some characters and some situations on that team that made it seem like he was letting the folks who ran it run it and he would step in when he needed to. For instance, he went nine years between Q&A press conferences for media. And the only time that he stepped in was when they when they fired coaches, you know, when they when they released Fox was the last one, you know, and before that, when they released Seifert. You know, back in 2001, but he he, he wasn't all over it like uh, a certain uh, owner from the Cowboys. Well, there's <laughs> those are two extremes. Like, okay, so he didn't. He's not everyday presence as an owner dipping in every uh, transaction that a team has, but. It's not like he wasn't requested. I know the Charlotte Observer tried to get him plenty of times during that nine years where he he didn't speak. And um, I would have to have to really go back and research and look at at what issues came up during those times where he didn't speak. But um, that to me is is. There, Jerry Richardson did a lot of good things for the. I mean, obviously, we wouldn't have a Carolina Panthers football team in Charlotte without Jerry Richardson. Uh, maybe it eventually would have happened with the way Charlotte grew or whatever. But he, being a former NFL player with the Baltimore Colts, uh, you know, being a North Carolina. Well, he went to school at Walford in South Carolina. He basically built his his empire, so to speak, uh, in in North Carolina. Born in North Carolina. So yes. So he's. He's he's a hometown guy who did good, but he also did a lot of <laughs> shady, questionable, you know, call me sir, get up, let me see your jeans on to, to women in the office. Like <laughs> Call me sir. Yeah, he was they, like. They called him mister. Mister, mister, my fault, mister. <laughs> but did mister. he say call him that or did they call him that? He made them call him that. From from the Sports Illustrated story that, that kind of broke 
uh, get, let us that. look behind the curtain. That's yeah. that's what it said. Here, here's what Jerry Richardson never did. I'll, t- I'll tell you this, too. David Tepper, in an interview with CNBC, said that it was dead wrong to accuse NFL players that are protesting as unpatriotic. He used the words dead wrong. Jerry Richardson never went out on a limb like that for anybody who was challenging authority in the way that Eric Reed did by kneeling with Colin Kaepernick. Um, I'm just glad they brought it back to a football decision because the Panthers needed help in the secondary. Eric Reed can give them help in the secondary. Boy, can he. What do you say about this? Not only did he wrap the franchise, you know, he he put his signature on the drafting of Cam Newton that the franchise, he's a face of the franchise, the franchise is wrapped around, you know, this prominent African-American quarterback. Not only that, but, you know, uh, a prominent Latino coach in Ron Rivera. Tina Becker is the de facto team president. You know, when he, he has a what good does this rep. have to do with He has a good rep when it comes to diversity. He has a good rep. So if he has a good rep when it comes to diversity, who's to say that he wouldn't listen to his people say, hey, Eric Reed's out there. We got to get him. I mean, you can't be in athletics and not have some kind of – surely he didn't have to hire Ron Rivera. Um, but, I mean, <laughs> if you want to win, you need to have black players. So him drafting Cam Newton, to me, doesn't factor in a decision to sign Eric Reed. And, and, and Eric Reed basically – was was for lack of a better word labeled as a malcontent I would say with him being with Colin Kaepernick and and tied to Colin Kaepernick in protest I, would you I think, say that that is hypothesis what you're saying right there it's that, not a it's not it's not a fact but it's we can infer that by the fact that nobody had signed Kaepernick still nobody signed Eric Reed until David Tepper and the Panthers went out and got him now Okay, actually, you know what? I can I can agree with the word malcontent. Wait, let me ask you one more thing, then one more thing. Steve Smith, listen, I came across an article called Steve Smith versus the World. Let me just read some of this. Steve Smith, well, first of all, he beat up three teammates. All right, so that's that's documented. Uh, Anthony Bright, you know, in two thousand four, that was a bad incident. I know he apologized for those things. They're but here's some of the sub- fights. Here, well, they're always football uh, fights. Uh, Every training camp comes around, we see football fights. No, no, but they're in a they're in a He's practice Cam squad. Cam Newton and Josh Norm- Norman he, got in a fight. But hold on. Anthony Bright was practice squad, and in a, in, a, in a film session, he asked them to repeat footage of a film, and that's when it blew up. Steve Smith got mad and jumped on. Look, Steve Smith yelled at me. It's in the book, Thunder Sports Network. You can read about that. He yelled at me, so I know what it's like to be a little bit on the other end of that thing. You know, Steve Smith versus his teammates. These are some of the subtitles. Steve Smith versus Michael Johnson from the Giants. Steve Smith versus the Saints. Steve Smith versus Jake DeLome. This is all in this one article. Steve Smith versus Mark Sanchez. Steve Smith versus the people, the fans. Steve Smith versus the 2012 Panthers. And if you want to talk about defying authority, Steve Smith versus Dave Gettleman publicly. All I'm saying is that Steve Smith was with the franchise for a long time, and Richardson never gave him the boot for being, you know, who he is, which I think is he's a rebel. He never challenged NFL owner's authority by any any of those actions Steve Smith did didn't have anything to do with challenging NFL owners, which when you took a knee, when Kaepernick took a knee, when Eric, Eric Reed joined him taking a knee, uh, and the owners were clearly upset about it, they still took a knee. That's challenging directly. Jerry Richardson wouldn't stand for that. Steve Smith played football. For all of his antics, Steve Smith was a football guy. Mm-hmm. Eric Reed is not a Panthers 
uh, safety if 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 Jerry Richardson was still in control. And I say perhaps it might have gotten done, but who knows? You know, we're, we're never going to know. I will say this though: the Panthers, like you said, just got stronger. We got to cut to a break here, but I want you to come back, and so does CL because we have some great guests with this rivalry week. Guests that will be able to tell us more from the inside scoop from the athletic.com about those two teams we mentioned earlier the Ravens and the Steelers bring it back at 97.9 The Hill Welcome back to Sibling Rivalry Sports on 97.9 The Hill. C.L. Brown along with Chris Brown, yours truly. And uh, we're, we're going to have a great guest here, a uh, great, great couple of guests. C.L., did you know, by the way, in the open when we first came in, did you know who I was trying to project there? That No. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Fail. Howard Cosell. <laughs> Did you hear a I little? Just, no, I didn't hear any Howard. I just heard announcer. Oh, That's man. Generic announcer. It's been too long. It's been too long. I need to brush up on Howard. Well, let's go ahead and brush up on some inside scoopage when it comes to this rivalry week here on Sibling Rivalry Sports. And we're talking about the Baltimore Ravens going up against the Pittsburgh Steelers in Pittsburgh. Our first expert is going to be able to, be able to bring us some of that perspective is Jeff Zriebeck, former Baltimore Sun beat reporter for the Baltimore Ravens. But now he has exploded his coverage into the athletic.com covering those Ravens and doing an incredible job. Jeff Zriebeck is here with us. Jeff, how you doing? Good, guys. How are you? Lovely this week. Lovely. I love to to revel. I'm a Steeler fan, Jeff. I didn't tell you that beforehand, and and uh, you know that's what plays into this. I'm looking at my brother wearing a Ravens jersey, military jersey with the with the hat to match. So it gets kind of it gets kind of disgusting between me and him during this week. <laughs> <laughs> I could imagine. I mean, best thing uh, though recently, you know there. This rivalry, I think, in the last couple of years, uh, I don't want to say couple, but it's kind of mellowed a little bit. I mean, don't get me wrong. The teams play really competitive games. There's a dislike for each other. One thing I've kind of grown to respect lately with the Ravens-Steelers is it's not a whole lot of nonsense. It's just let's play. Uh, let the best team win. Not a whole lot of cheap stuff. Agreed with that. Well, what Jeff, do you feel like now the teams are starting to rebuild to their strength? At this moment, you would have to say the Steelers' strength is that offense and the Ravens rebuilding both sides, but really that defense is becoming something special. Would you would you say that that might lend to the rivalry, you know, jacking back up a little bit? Yeah, you know, it's sort of long been what, what do you think about when you think about the uh, – you know, the Ravens, and it's always been defense. And, uh, you know, when they won the Super Bowl and found the 2012 regular season, they won it because of their offense. And they sort of morphed into an offensive team, or at least tried to, uh, those couple of years after, where Joe Flacco got the record contract and he was the guy. Um, but, they're, you know, I think they're a more balanced team now. I think the defense is much improved. Um, but you go into this game, and through three weeks, the Ravens have the number one ranked defense in the NFL. Now, uh, that doesn't mean anything. It's week four. So uh, I think everything, you know, I think we all know they're taking up a huge step up in class Sunday night, and with how well the Steelers are playing offensively, even without Bell. 
Um, so we'll learn a little bit about their defense Sunday, no question. Um, you know, there's not been great, but they've been, you know, uh, pretty good when they've needed to be these first couple weeks. So uh, we'll see. But, uh, you know, if the Ravens are going to get back to the playoffs, their defense will have to play the starring role, as always. Okay, for Rivalry Week, we're talking to Jeff Zriebeck from TheAthletic.com, Baltimore Ravens reporter. Jeff, who is the leader, speaking of defense, who is the leader of the Ravens' defense, would you say? Is it Weddle or is it Mosley or who? I think it's probably Suggs. You know, Terrell Suggs is still kind of the guy, um, you know, that everybody looks to to make a play when it counts. If you're talking about vocal leadership, Eric Weddle probably talks the most. He's a big communicator, and, uh, you know, uh, he's certainly the leader of the secondary. He took over the, you know, the headset play-calling role when Mosley was out last week. Mosley's more of the leading-by-example guy, but he certainly is part of their kind of their leadership hierarchy. Uh, but I think if you look at one guy, he's the longest tenured player in the NFL. He's probably going to the Hall of Fame. I think this is still, Terrell Suggs is still the face of the Ravens defense. Still sticking sticking with defense, I had a question about uh, Antonio Brown no longer having to face Jimmy Smith at corner for the Ravens and, and how that may uh, benefit Pittsburgh. And, and who, who do you think is going to get that assignment uh, for, for the Ravens at corner covering Antonio Brown? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think if you look at the numbers, uh, how the Ravens have fared against Antonio Brown with Jimmy Smith and without uh, it is drastic. I mean, and it's not just Antonio Brown. Uh, historically, in recent years, when when Jimmy Smith's been out, the secondary struggled to face top receivers. And we saw it in Week 2 when A.J. Green went for three touchdowns against them. Um, but what's going to be interesting is to see whether uh, first-year Ravens defensive coordinator Wink Martindale uh, shadows Antonio Brown with Marlon Humphrey. I think that's what people would like them to do. Um, you know, Marlon Humphrey's still a young guy, uh, but he's a better matchup because he's a little more physical and he runs better, and he's a better matchup for Brown than Brandon Carter would be. Um, so I, I will see. The Ravens don't like shadowing uh, certain receivers because they feel like it gives away their coverage and it kind of gets them away from what they like to do. Um, and what happens if they move Antonio Brown to the slot? It's just, Humphrey cover him there. So there's a lot of issues going there, but I would be surprised a little bit if we don't see Antonio Brown and and Marlon Humphrey matched up a good bit in that game uh, come Sunday. I mean, uh, Brown destroyed Brandon Carr in their last meeting in uh, you know at Hines. I think it was last December. I think he went over 200 yards receiving. They can't have that happen again. He's a great player, probably the best receiver in the league. He's going to get his, but you can't let him go for over 200. So I think Marlon Humphrey gives the Ravens the best opportunity of at least being competitive with him. Hey, question, Jeff. The, the Ravens just signed a new center. What does that mean? You know, we're coming from Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and the Triangle area, so Duke grad Max Scura has been starting at center. What does that mean? Is that something about him, or what is that? No, I, you know, I, I think they've just been trying to get a little more depth inside. They only had two reserve offensive linemen, you know, Orlando Brown Jr. and Bradley Bozeman, the rookie. Uh, Grestu gives them a little more experience inside uh, if they need to use Bozeman at guard, and then Bozeman can play center. So, you know, they, they were going to add one sooner or later. Grestu worked out 
for them uh, earlier in the month, and they were just kind of looking for an opportunity where they felt like they had a roster flexibility and they could kind of improve their depth. We appreciate <laughs> your bringing your wisdom and insider scoopage to the show this week, Jeff. It's Jeff Drebeck, folks. He covers the Baltimore Ravens for TheAthletic.com. You can find him on Twitter at Jeff Drebeck. If you go to our Twitter, we're going to tweet out his information so you can follow him and, and subscribe to that excellent, excellent uh, version that he does of TheAthletic.com. So, Jeff, thank you so much, man. Take care. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the game. Thanks, Jeff. Now we have with us Mark Caboli, the senior Steelers writer for the Athletic Pittsburgh. How are you doing today, Mark? Pretty good. How are you guys doing? Excellent. It's lovely whenever the Steelers and Ravens are about to, to face <laughs> off around here. Um, we'll, we'll just jump right into questions for you. I, I wanted to start with... You know, <laughs> you're probably tired of talking about it, but Le'Veon Bell not being on, on on the Steelers roster right now. Well, not being in the camp with Steelers, not not playing in games right now. Are they going to work out a trade? And, and is your gut telling you that this is going to work out and he's going to be gone, or will he just continue to hold out? Well, I think there's. Uh, I don't think he's going to be showing up anytime soon. I mean, if you look at the rules, he had the, the drop-dead date is November 13th. If he does not sign his franchise tender by then, he cannot play this year at all. So that's the date you have to circle. As for trade, they have, have the entire month of October to do that. And I just don't see that happening because you have to have a perfect situation of a team wanting to give up some sort of compensation for a rent-up player that you have to pay nearly a million dollars a month to or a million dollars a week to, Mm. then you have no rights to him after the season's over. You add to that that that, uh, Le'Veon does not really have to go anywhere, even if he's traded, say... The Steelers make a trade with the Colts and say we're going to—they're going to give us a first-round pick, second-round pick, or whatever. Le'Veon has to sign his tag before that happens, and if he doesn't want to go to the Colts, guess what? He just oh, doesn't sign his yeah. tag. So you throw all that together, uh, they're not going to trade him. They're not going to rescind the tag. I think the best-case scenario for them right now is he shows up November 13th, provides them with some fresh legs down the stretch, and cut ties with them next year and. Hopefully, get a compensation pick. Oh, I could think of a, a couple of people to your east <laughs> that might uh, welcome him to wear some purple and gold, and also have two <laughs> games against his former employer a year that we could offer. Yeah, I could think of some people who would welcome him. Oh, uh, you can have him then, man. <laughs> you have enough money. It's a question. I'm, I'm a Steelers fan, and and obviously you've been covering the team since 2003. To me. There's always been a pattern, especially once Mike Tomlin became the head coach, that they kind of start seasons off slow, and then they hit their stride later, mid mid season and, and late season. They they've been known to get on rolls, but something about this start, uh, maybe it was because they tied the Browns. <laughs> if they tied somebody else, it'd be different. But it was the Browns, and and then you have the Antonio Brown situation, um, uh, him missing a practice, and then kind of coming in, seeming like disgruntled, uh, getting to sideline arguments with the offense coordinator. Yeah. Is there something different about the like? Are we seeing? Is there something to like? team turmoil that that's almost been labeled for this early part of the season for Pittsburgh? See, uh, that's sort of the outside perspective, but the inside perspective is the Steelers have a Le'Veon Bell issue, and everybody knows about that. 
and somewhat of an Antonio Brown issue, which seems to pop up once or twice every single year before they, you know, squash it and move about their business. Everything else is absolutely fine with this team. I think the reason why there's also some speculation that this team might not be as good as as the advertising the preseason is their defense. I mean, their defense has given up, you know, 450 yards, 30 some 33 points per game, given up beat pass plays. I know they did it. They allowed Kansas City and Tampa Bay, two of the better pass defense or pass, passing games, to do that. So I think that's what it is. Everybody believes that this offense can play with anything, any team. This offense can, you know, solve any defense. This offense can put up 30, 35 points on a weekly basis. But nobody's quite sure that the defense can't give up less than 40 points a game. And that's, that's the problem right now. That's what they work on. That's what they're trying to work on. But, you know, you look around the league. The L.A. Rams are the best defense in the league, or at least one of the top two, and they give up 31 points of 450 yards to the Vikings on Thursday. So yeah. maybe they're not that far off of where this league is going or where this league's at. Maybe you just have to outscore everybody. And if you, the problem with that is you can outscore everybody until you have that one bad week. And that one bad week comes January 5th, and all of a sudden you're out of the playoffs and it's a disastrous season. That's why there's uh, some skepticism around how far this team can go, even though their offense is some of the best, you know, maybe the best in the league. And, Mark, I know you mean well, so I just want to add to what you're saying about, you know, the Rams. They're, they're, I think they're the number two defense. I think the number one defense resides go. to your uh, east. Some, 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 some miles to your east. Jacksonville. <laughs> oh, yeah. You, yeah, that's, that's okay. Yeah, no, Jacksonville, that's okay. You can think that. But, you know, the numbers say something else. Hey, <laughs> Mark, I'm messing with you. Hey, listen, I did want to ask you that why – can you tell me – why is the defense? They're 27th overall. They're, you know, 26 against the pass, 24th against the rush. Uh, it's, it is not. I don't look at that and say that's still a defense. What, can you? Is there anything that you look at and say, okay, this is what's going on here? Yeah, it's all, it's all secondary. It's all, it's all corners. Um, their number one pick from a couple years ago, Artie Burns, has now lost his job or at least splitting the number one reps with Cody Sensabaugh, who's a, you know, a guy's been around for forever he's really struggled this year and some of their safeties they got a you know first round pick Terrell Edmonds is starting the safety because they're only free agent of any note well two free agents Morgan Burnett's been hurt basically the entire offseason so that's thrown that that back half of the secondary in problem and you know this I mean you hate to really say this because the guy was severely injured but Ryan Shazier's injury last December has a profound effect not only on his life but the entire franchise because first of all he was an outstanding player that would fit in today's NFL that can be a three down linebacker cover tight ends cover backs stop the run but they had to pay the guy 10 million bucks too this year because they picked up his fifth year option so he was guaranteed money they're paying him 10 million bucks not to play hard to replace that type of guy so that is something they have yet to recover from. They thought they were going to be able to do it by bringing in some hybrid safeties like the Terrell Edmonds, Morgan Burnett. That hasn't quite panned out quite yet. So they were trying to circumvent the loss of, you know, Shazier with that. They brought in John Bossick. He's just a two-down guy. I mean, he's a journeyman guy that 
making two million bucks, so you know he's not going to be a Ryan Shazier type. So I think along with some of the secondary issues, the injuries, the, the switch in schemes a little bit, and the Ryan Shazier just not being available, it's just been devastating to the team. Well, Mark, we really appreciate you coming on with us. Uh, check him out, Mark Caboli. Senior uh, Steelers writer for the Athletic Pittsburgh. Follow him on Twitter at Mark Caboli, K A B O L Y, and that's Mark with the K. <laughs> Appreciate you, man. Thank All you, Mark. Right, we'll see you guys. All right, take it easy. Sibling Rivalry Sports on 97.9 The Hill. You know we got to chill on the hill. We have enjoyed some great insider knowledge coming from the senior writers from TheAthletic.com covering the Baltimore Ravens and the Pittsburgh Steelers. And uh, those guys are fun to have. It's just great to hear from somebody who covers the teams day in, day out. What was sickening was how much they agreed with you, CL. Uh, that was sickening. I found that lovely music <laughs> to my ears. <laughs> All of a sudden, we're you know we're playing some of that great ninety-seven-nine music, as far as you're concerned. But as far as I'm concerned, uh, it just went to white noise at that part. But that's okay. We're back, and let's let's bring it back down. To, actually, those guys were great. Let me just make sure I say that. Thankful for those guys being on. Here, let's talk NFL. Let's talk NFL now. And when we talk NFL, of course, we have to address the elephant in the room. Our take on the rivalry. CLD, would you like to go first? I'll, I'll let you go first because I like picking apart your, your uh, logic. Sort of like the Ravens secondary <laughs> will pick apart your number seven. Not without on, Jimmy Smith. To, uh, really? Not really. Cause, really. Because pass defense-wise, we're top ten without Jimmy you Smith. Haven't, you haven't faced Roethlisberger in the Pittsburgh offense. Oh, okay. So we yeah. haven't faced We'll see, we'll see where they rank after this week. Okay. All right. Well, you know, we faced Cincinnati. Didn't, didn't come out on top, but we did face them. And after, you know, we gave them, we spotted them, uh, we shut them right down. So that's a decent quarterback with some huh? receivers. <laughs> Shut them down. Didn't they score 34? What was uh, the score of that game? The score, that, we'll have to look that yeah, up. Yeah, 34-23, wasn't They it? scored 21 in the first. And the final score was 34-23. I think they had a meaningless late They score. scored 34 points, yeah, man. And you're trying to dis- dissect this. They score, they put up 34. I think Pittsburgh yeah. puts up at least 30. Really? At least. Okay. But right. I think Baltimore put up at least 25. <laughs> <laughs> the Steelers aren't shutting anybody down this year. That's for sure. It's 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 kind of interesting to me, the dynamic that it's it's – it's now an offensive team. We have long thought of the Steelers as defensive, the dominant defense, and you know, offense is whatever it is for that particular year. But in the last few years, it's really been an offensive team first. Mm-hmm. That's true. And, you know, they have. What's interesting, and that's what I was asking Mark about. Uh, they have 
the they have the dogs on defense. I think they have the tools there, and they have athletes that are scary good. You know, uh, like T.J. Watt, uh, those types of guys. But uh, but it's just not coming together for some reason. I don't know if if it's is it Keith Butler, the defensive coordinator. I don't know what it is. I do think Ryan. Uh, Shazier's absence is is huge for not being able to prepare for that for a situation like that and Mm -hmm. even you can't just better yourself in the draft that fast you know you don't just pick a guy who's plug in and and ready to go and have the same kind of impact on on a lot of different uh, a lot of different areas defensively that Ryan Shazier had well let me say this my good man I uh, I, you know, a lot of the pundits that are that are you know prognosticating out there are it's almost it's almost split evenly. It's it's a little favoring Pittsburgh. That's not different than any other. Time. It's always like that. So I'm used to that. Uh, and I, I'll just say, as we approach our picks, what I'll say is that uh, I love where this Baltimore Ravens team is right now. Love it. I love their defense, and I'm not even thinking about the statistics. I'm just thinking about the way they play, the way they have the next man up mentality, you know, the way they shore things up and look out for each other. I love it. And I, I just, I do not think, even in his home turf, that Ben Roethlisberger, who is a dangerous quarterback, who have, I've gone on record saying he scares me more than you know, uh, most quarterbacks in the NFL, that's because he's in our division maybe, but we have to see him twice. But you know what? I don't think he's going to shred us. I think there's enough turmoil uh, coming off that sideline uh, that it's going to it's going to uh, slow down a little bit what they normally do. Uh, and I think the defense will take care of the rest. That's the way I see it. I see I don't see the Pittsburgh Steelers scoring 30 or more. In my estimation, I think the Ravens will, though. I think the Ravens will score 34, and I think Pittsburgh will score 24, and that includes, like Cincinnati did, that'll include a late touchdown. Pittsburgh Steelers 31, Baltimore Ravens 24. (laughs) I'll make it a seven-point game. Pittsburgh's a a three-and-a-half-point favorite, I believe. Uh, I'll give you this statistic to, to leave it alone on. The AFC North uh, against Pittsburgh in the last five seasons, 2-13. and 13. Baltimore's 1-4 and four during that stretch. Cincinnati's 1-4. and four, And, of course, Cleveland didn't, hasn't won at all. So I'm, I'm sticking with the Steelers at home. Very different team than, you know, last few years. But, okay, thank you for that. Thank you. Instead. Uh, so stick with us. We got the brownout next here on Sibling Rivalry Sports on 97.9 The Hill. Thank you for coming back to Sibling Rivalry Sports. We know the NFL is about to kick off, so so are we. We're going to kick off the brownout. The brownout. All righty. As you know, the premise of the brownout is that we just have some quick hit hot sports topics that we hit on and move on to the next one before bowing out and tuning in. So what is the first topic of the brownout? Was former Clemson quarterback Kelly Bryant justified in beefing over losing his starting position? CL, what say you? No, he wasn't justified. I think Kelly Bryant needed to be a competitor and realized that, okay, this guy beat me out. What do I have to do to get back? It's simple, and, simple and plain. This is, this is about competition. 
I mean, you know, I would never really kind of agree with, you know, kind of having an attitude towards the way that the team is going. So I wouldn't agree with that. But I do agree that this young man brought them to a national championship game and that there is a there's a modicum of loyalty that should be shown. There's a whole trend of that going on, which we could maybe hit another time. But I think I think they should have been a little more loyal to the guy. You're acting like he got there by himself. What do you mean? You said he got them to a national championship. Oh. Like, like he carried the team. Well, you know what I mean. You're not going to get there unless you have some great quarterback play and that type of thing. So. Trent Dilfer won the Super Bowl. You only need a good quarterback, an average quarterback. Wow. A manager. Wow. There goes Trent Dilfer. We're, I was going to ask him to be on the show one day, but so much for that. Okay. What's, what's next on the brownout? Should the Carolina Hurricanes be wearing throwback uniforms this season, giving a nod to their past existence as the Hartford Whalers? Okay, I might be in a minority with this, but I, I kind of like the Hartford Whalers logo. I kind of like, you know, the the design of it and everything, and I, I don't mind seeing it out there again. I know some people around here feel differently about that, but I, I'm all for it. I actually have a surprise quote for you, CL. Zig Fricasi, he is a big-time hockey fan, and he's also an announcer for Sirius XM NFL Radio. He told me directly about this issue, that there's a good hockey tradition in Hartford, and uh, basically those those jerseys are something that the younger fans should be taught about when it comes to history and the origination. He's, he's all about the tradition. I like that. I think that's cool, so I'm going to go with that. What's next on the brownout? Is Tiger Woods currently the greatest draw in all of sports? Uh, yeah, so Tiger, and, and you know, I can understand it was a lot of excitement, you know, when he won the championship. That, that, that's awesome, you know, but uh, the, the biggest draw in the, in the world? Uh, uh, let's just break it down to the USA. The biggest, no, Tiger Woods is not the biggest sports draw. If LeBron James was walking down the street the way that Tiger was walking down the greens there, you'd have the similar, you'd have a similar look to it. What about Tom Brady? I think Tom Brady, now he wouldn't go to certain neighborhoods, okay? <laughs> he wouldn't come to he wouldn't come to Pittsburgh, he wouldn't come to Baltimore, you know, he wouldn't come to Carolina. Definitely not. But if he uh, you know, came walking down the streets of Boston similar. Oh, even even OBJ, Odell Beckham Jr., I think he's got quite a following. So yeah, I, I don't think in Man, my opinion. You're naming dudes that ain't close to Tiger. <laughs> really? Brady LeBron, is LeBron. not close. Brady's not close. Brady OBJ, Brady's, not Brady close. Not has, even close. Brady's been called the best not ever. Even Brady. Close. How's Brady not draw? close? Tiger is more universal than Brady. Are you Brady talking about is... USA or the world? Both. Both. No Especially way. USA. Okay, let's go to the next step on the brownout. The Alliance of American Football, which is launching in February, revealed its eight franchise logos. Who's your favorite? And the final topic as well. What say you, CL? You know, we had Dre Bly on a couple weeks ago, and he's coaching for one of these teams. I'll tell you in a second. But which one of the uh, Alliance of American Football team names do you like the best? I hate to say it, but I don't really care for any of them. <laughs> I hate to say it like that. I, I, I like the logo of the Apollos, Orlando Apollos, but I don't like the name. If if they were somewhere else in the area Apollos, I'd probably love it. But Orlando Apollos sounds like a guy that lives down the street. Hold on. That scratch you hear, folks, is me scratching off the media day, AAF media day off our list here. Uninvited. <laughs> okay. Uh, I actually like the San Diego fleet and probably a little partial, but that's a sweet looking logo of the battleship. And I can't wait to see their secondary 
Fury logo, which might be a battleship from the side view. I think that I could get behind that. I could totally get behind that. The Apollos, that makes me laugh. I, I'm, <laughs> it just makes me laugh every time I think about it. But I thought you would like the Atlanta Legends with the crowned, you know, the, I thought that would be you. It sounds like a strip club in Atlanta, to be honest. Oh, we're going to cut that <laughs> right out of here. Okay. And with that... We got to move on and let you get to football and we'll get to our rivalry. Thank you for joining us on this special Sunday edition. Next week, we will be back at our normal spot on Thursday and we'll have another great show for you. So my name is Chris Brown. I'm CL Brown. And this is Sibling Sibling Rivalry Rivalry Sports Sports. on 97.9 WCHL The Hill.